Welcome to episode eight of our six-figure fiction challenge. I'm here with Lawrence, and this week we're going to look at uh, what feedback we got from the excellent Bonnie, and how was it received? Lawrence, over to you. Hello, everybody. It's uh, great you joined us again. So the feedback, my feedback, I presented, I sent uh, Bonnie um, about two pages of text, a plot description. One of my challenges in the past is doing this pantsing thing, which is the idea of just creating the plot as you go along. And typically I would get 80% of it right, or I'm maybe being generous to myself. Typically I get quite a bit right and there'd be big gaps in the whole plot thing. And one of the problems I uh, had previously with other books is creating the bad guy okay um the uh, protagonist okay no the antagonist sorry i always get it mixed up <laughs> uh, the antagonist which is the bad guy okay so that there's conflict to the story okay so um bonnie gave me a report on my plot which she thought was pretty good except I'd missed out on conflict. So I have this tendency to write this long story of they go here and then they go there and they find the ring and they're looking for the other ring and they're looking for the other thing and maybe they get involved romantically, but missing out on conflict. So what I have to do and what I've been doing recently in the last few days is looking at the plot and looking at adding more direct conflict that somebody is out to get him right so this is going to be about citric a uh, the grandson of uh, citric who was the king of dublin who was kicked out anyways grandson thinks that he deserves to be king again of dublin king of leinster in fact and he gets into difficulties and he goes to join william the conqueror who is about to embark to um, go to England and the Battle of Hastings will come. Anyway, that's a very short summary. So what she suggested is I need somebody who is out to kill Citric, somebody who's out to get him, who'd be a relative of the current King of Dublin, who wants to make sure that Citric is dead and his bloodline is dead. So I also want to introduce other things, bigger things as well. The struggle between good and evil. That's one of the themes I want to bring in. But uh, So I want to make sure there's a very strong element of real conflict that somebody is out to get the person. And the reason for doing this, I believe now, and I have to embed this, is to increase the tension, which increases the likelihood that people are going to go from one page to the next page because they want to find out what happens if somebody's out to kill you or to kill your main character. So you can imagine taking this idea and pushing it in a modern context. You don't have to write historical fiction. Modern context, a man looks to inherit something and there's somebody out to get him, could be out to kill him. So that's clear conflict. Better than just a story of somebody who wants his inheritance. Yeah, okay, wants his inheritance and does various things to get it. So the conflict... And this was the key piece of criticism that Bonnie had. Ramp up the conflict, make the person, what was it again? The protagonist. The antagonist. The, antagonist, the bad guy, okay? The bad make guy. the bad guy. Make the bad guy on the page. Put him on the page, okay? So that he has plans, okay? So you have the bad guy is named Olaf, 
okay? And he's got a big scar and he just wants to kill Citric. That's it. I just want his blood, his skull, to drink from his skull. Okay, that sort of thing. Now that raises the, of course, it raises the tension in the story and you, you know, you have to keep reading to see does Olaf get his wish and drink from Citric's skull? Okay, so that's my, that's a summary of what I got back and how the story and plot are changing. What about you, Kevin? Well, could I ask a question first? Go, go. Why do you think, and I think readers may find this interesting because they may be suffering from the same malaise or whatever you want to call it. Why do you think you have avoided putting conflict in? Ooh, that's a very deep psychological question, Kevin. And, you know, seriously, there could be any number of reasons. So... Now I'm sort of getting to grips. I think I'm I'm okay. I'm on my 14th or 15th novel, and I'm slowly learning the ropes. Okay, yeah, but but I read your first novel, the uh, Istanbul Puzzle. There was conflict in that. There was yes. So of it's course. not like you were sort of green under the gills. You know, you had a best-selling, you had a a, a deal with Harper Collins, and you you wrote this fantastic book, which was conflict, was it not? Uh, yes, but there's this thing about forgetting things that you've learned. I don't know if you ever heard of that yeah, thing. Okay, yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. you think you're a genius, right? You think, oh, I had this book, right? And you think, oh, I just jot something down, right? And it'll be fine as a plot, okay? And then you don't realize how much effort. I put years of work into that, into that. So I the came- The Istanbul. In the Istanbul puzzle. So I, okay. So this is the thing that happens to writers where you come across and they, they one book does really well and then they forget how to do, how did I do that? And think, oh, I can just write something, anything now. Yes, there was conflict, there was bad guys in it, and they were out to get them, and there were people after them. Yes, so it was built around conflict. And I've drifted away from that, and I have to get back to it now. So my next series, the series which is going to inspire the rest of this podcast for me is going to be conflict-based. And thank you, Bonnie, for making sure that I stay on track with this conflict-based, which can be applied to romance and historical fiction and science fiction. Uh, you don't need to... Uh, literature, you know, literary fiction can have conflict, except the very worst type for me, which has no capital letters, no full stops, and uh, is some sort of stream of consciousness. I don't read that stuff anyway. So I'm interested adventure, conflict, whether it's romance, science fiction, fantasy, historical fiction, whatever you want, crime, of course, murder mysteries, there's basically about conflict. That's the long answer to your question, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> One final follow-up. How did, we were talking last week about how difficult it is to take uh, critique. How did, that, uh, how did that sit with you when she pointed out that there was not enough conflict? Well, I'm used to now getting critique. Um, so it, hers wasn't bad because I had pr a lot of the stuff she's critiqued me about before I'd put in there. Uh, so I wasn't too bad. Of course, you get the jolt in any criticism. You get a jolt when you get it. But I'm very much open now to critiquing. And yes, so I have that. And I remember going back to when I was edited by an editor at HarperCollins. They would send four page really damning um, instructions on how to fix the novel. So they, they had helped me a lot in these things, which you speak about as well. And they mentioned conflict. As, was that a big thing in the initial? I can't remember exactly, but the very Definitely. detailed, um, very detailed 
criticisms. So I'm used to being criticized. I'm used to going in. I didn't change everything. So if they suggested 20 things, I'd change 18 and wouldn't even tell them about the other two. And mm. <laughs> anyway, so but they did. It, um, criticism does help you improve the plot and the quality of the reading experience. Yes, and of course, that's why books about heaven never work, because there's no conflict. Everything is going along fine. And I think it was Plato, was it Plato who, who put it, that if there's no row, there's no reader. You know, there's that sense that if you don't have, if you look at, you know, Coronation Street or any of the top soaps, it's all about... Jilly wants to go out, but her mum says no. And that's every turning point is with, Lawrence, you want to do this, I'm going to say no. And that is, I suppose, we're all looking. I'm just trying to figure out why conflict is so important, because we're all looking to get our way. And life inevitably throws so many uh, things in, in, in that way. And, and I suppose that's why it's um, so, so important. Um, I'll move on to uh, Bonnie. Uh, Bonnie gave me feedback and it was really, really profound. And um, I was uh, working with a, a story that's already been established, it's a rehash of a, a Dickens story. And so I, I, was, I was fairly sure that we have a well-trodden um, structure. I wasn't too worried about the structure, and and it sort of that turned out to be. You know, she was. She, she actually said, "Yeah, the structure's good." And then she made a very interesting. She made two basic things. One was about um, the 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 character as to why the protagonist would do something, and that was um, in this case, uh, why why would he be such a nasty? mean, horrible miser. And I had actually, in my retelling, sort of taken that, the, the, the motivation out. Um, I changed the story into a sort of a love story, which I think is a plus. But it really, it, you know, and it's like, I play quite a lot of chess, as does Lawrence, and you, you can see when you've made a sort of a mismove or a blunder, you trace it back two moves and you can see, oh yes, I, I overlooked that move there. So it was, it was like having, a, it was like having a, a move in a game of chess pointed out, well, that's going to lead to a sort of a collapse. So that was brilliant. And I'm sort of in, I'm on the road to fixing that now. Um, and it's sort of not a major, it's not a major rewrite, it's not a major thing, and that was great that she said that. But, uh, so that was really, really interesting. And then she made a couple of suggestions about turning sort of the love interest into his sort of business partner and uh, the bad, these thugs uh, who beat up another character into sort of, and I, and I said, nah. And also, and, and, and the ghosts as well, sort of changing them. And I went, nah, that, that, that's, that's not why I'm writing this. So, so uh, and that was good because, you know, then I, you know, interacted and, you know, I think, uh, I think if you, I think what was really helpful was you don't have to take, as Lauren says, you don't have to take everything on board. But what you have to do is to see what's, where the faults are and she definitely like the game of chess she pointed out my mismove on a couple of things and it was very helpful to track that back and say okay well let, let's 
I can get to play. The great thing about this, it's not like a game of chess where you make a mismove and you lose. You can actually, you know, rehash and go again. You get a second, third, fourth, fifth chance. So that's brilliant. So I've, I've learned that the feedback is actually very beneficial. And it's given me three pointers. Um, one about the ghost, which it could be quite profound. Um, and I haven't quite clearly figured that out but I have to say uh, the whole experience was um, it was like it was like talking to it was like talking to a fan you know the fan is not necessarily going to say they love your album they may say oh I didn't like that and I didn't like that but the fact that she was actually interested was great and I have to say it's been really stimulating because as Lawrence says this is a solitary existence. Um, you know, you as a writer and anybody listening to this podcast knows how solitary it is. So I would seriously encourage you. And I think Lawrence has been so good to, to involve Bonnie, who works with Lawrence quite a lot on things. It's so good to get someone who actually does give a you-know-what. So how did you feel, come on, how did you feel when you read the critique? I felt... How did I feel when I read the critique? Well, Lawrence had sort of had, had sort of unnerved me because he said I was going to fall to bits. I would be in the uh, St. Pat's mental hospital and I would um, slash my wrists. So it, that was slightly unnerving. Um, to be honest, I didn't really feel that. I felt because uh, I had a sort of a confidence in the structure, and I know this story so well over five years of doing it for stage and film, and I know I've breathed the character, I've played the character on stage, so I wasn't really concerned about that. For me, I changed the story into a love story, so that was, that had inherent danger. Mm. And there was one misstep in the development of the main character that she pointed out and again like seeing a mistake in a game of chess that was great so tell us a little bit more about that mistake and how you might fix it i don't think maybe mistake is not really the right word and i and i think this is the language i think this is the language that readers or listeners to this podcast because we can become hyper critical and because we are very can become very defensive i think mistake is inappropriate when it comes to your creating something. It's, is it a mistake? Well, when about the change. Let's okay, so it's a, a change. Yeah, so, so the change, I think the change is, I think the change, it's really about the motivation. So there, there was also something I didn't quite agree. So in the original story of A Christmas Cow, um, Scrooge, uh, it, it, I think Dickens is a genius because he points out when he, the ghost takes Scrooge back to visit the past, the ghost of Christmas past, he shows the young Scrooge on his own on Christmas Eve in the school aged around 13. His father had abandoned him. For some reason, his father didn't like him. And I knew that that was a psychological trigger point. And the reason really why Scrooge, if you, if you buy into the Freudian you know, psychological development, you know, that hurt people hurt people. So Scrooge had been hurt as a child. And I think that's very clear in the actual original. So I'd taken that. Um, now, uh, 
the critique that came back to me was sort of like, oh, he's just a bad guy. And I said, I actually answered and said, no, I don't think he is a bad guy. I think he's become a bad guy. But no, no child is inherently wrong by nature. Maybe, they, maybe there are some psychopaths who are born. Maybe. Uh, but if you look at Stalin and Hitler, they had incredibly violent and abusive fathers. So I take that thing as the father and I've built that up. But what really was helpful when she said, OK, but the motivation has to be that at some stage Scrooge decided to be a bastard. And that was good. And I'd sort of missed that. So now I'm going to put in a scene where Scrooge is offered in his back. He's offered the chance to you know, forgive the dad or ha take redemption. He doesn't take it. He decides to be a nasty. Yeah, this gets really to the nub of thing about character. And it's, uh, this yeah. is really interesting because we're now moving on from plot into character. Yes. So the character, and this is why it will really help if we understand the characters that we're creating. Yeah. And that decision, okay, having children, I think, uh, opens you up to the idea that character, genetics even, does influence. Where you have multiple children and one person is really nice and the other child is not quite so nice and makes different decisions for their life. Let's put it that way. That, <laughs> that you see people and people say, you know, this child... Um, decided, you know, to be to that they weren't going to put up with whatever, and they were just going to go down the bad path, and that could be a decision based on multiple factors. Yeah, the father was bad to them, but also some desire within them, you know, genetic thing. So understanding that, I think it's really interesting to show that to the readers where this person, why this person. So it, that's the nub of it, is it? Showing the readers why this person oh. became like they are. Okay, so, so I'm going to go back to what I believe is the, the essence of, of a, a Christmas Carol, the essence of what um, Dickens is saying. And he has an optimistic view of the human condition because he believes that there is grace coming from a different world. This sort of, you can look at it in a quantum way, you can look at it in a religious way. He doesn't mention religion, he doesn't mention God, and I think that's genius on his part in the original novella. But he does say the ghosts are actually grace coming into your life and saying, Lawrence, uh, be careful! You, you're going to make you're going to make a serious mistake there. Now, some people don't believe that that is the world view. You know, they don't believe that there is any intervention. Einstein asked, said the ultimate question is: Is the universe friendly? And Dickens, I think, would say yes. There is a a, a realm which wants to sh put you right. It wants Lawrence to go and do the right thing. It wants Kevin to do the right thing. It wants our kids to do the right thing. It's grace. It's a sort of a, you know, a, a spiritual point of view. They're spirits and Scrooge recalls them spirits. So I believe that and I go that way. And uh, there was another point where, where, where Bunny came up with a great idea about AI and maybe it's an AI intelligence that you know, sorts them out. And I said, no, I'm, I'm going to go with the spirit because that's what I actually believe and that's what is, is meaningful for me. So it wouldn't be meaningful to, to take on um, uh, something that, that doesn't, you don't believe in. So you, you can't write about something you don't believe in, I don't think. Uh, um, so from, from that point of view, 
I've completely forgotten what your original question was. Uh, the nub of the change. Uh, that's uh, that's all right. The uh, just. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I think no. Yes. Uh, so so yes. So the nub is that we have free will. It's quite a Catholic view. Uh, we can turn around and say no to, you know, what is right. You know, conscience is two Latin words, conscio, with knowing. We know when we do wrong. We know when, when right calls. We know when we have to reach out to someone and we refuse to do it. And so I have to get in there that at some stage Scrooge says, you know, F you, I'm not going to do this, even though I sort of know it's right. I'm just going to be mean and nasty. And that was great to, to bring that back in and make it a very clear. So when he does change his mind, it is a big deal. That's great. And for me, what you've spoken about in the last few minutes really deepens my understanding of the story and my interest in even reading it, you know, to know about these character things that are going on. So I, I, I would hope that that will reflect other people as well, but we shall see uh, as it is. We shall see. We shall find out. So Why does that interest you? I, I, I'm curious. Well, it's the whole thing about character that you've been speaking about, about people deciding when to do good and when not to do good. And that that's probably the profound nature of Christmas Carol, isn't it? About somebody who's decided to be evil, to deny people and say no when people want the day off for Christmas. Um, someone, why are they? Why are they like that? What motivation have they had? What's behind it? And how will they change? Mm. That character arc is really interesting. I I'm not quite sure why. I think it resonates. You know, you're interested in why people are doing this, why the worst things happen in the world. So for me, that's a really interesting. And, and yes, I think it'll be a profound change. And I hope that you be able to work on that and, and really um, get it going. Well, well, I mean, uh, you know, it, it, it makes sense. So, so yes, definitely. There's, there's, there's no option now in my head, you know, to, to make the mechanics work, to undo you know, a, a move that is not going to go anywhere. It's leaving a hole. So, so there, there, it's a no-brainer, really. Uh, you'd be an idiot. I'd be an idiot if I didn't uh, rectify that. Uh, and I suppose it also goes back to worldview. So, you know, you do have to explain your... You do have to have a philosophy you believe in. You could write a book and say there is no... Um, good force that's out there tapping on our shoulder a good angel tapping on our shoulder and a bad angel tapping on our shoulder and that's fine you, you don't have to write from that perspective of life uh, but i think dickens wrote from that perspective and i and i interpret life that way so it's a case of making changes but they have to fit within the belief system as to why i'm bothering to write anyway so we hope there's a couple of things you might take from this episode. One is about plotting and conflict and how it's very easy to just write a meandering story without conflict. And the other, how plot and conflict relate to the character, the main character. Why are they in conflict with the other person? And the interesting thing about uh, exploring that further, where does the conflict come from? Are they doing good or bad? And what do you believe about good or bad? So hopefully those, those are really important things to think about to make our story resonate. And that is people will read it to the end. You want people to read it to the end because they don't read it to the end. They're not going to tell anyone about it. 
And in some cases, you won't get paid fully if you're in uh, Amazon, KENP, PageRoots, things like that. But if, and they won't give you a good review if they don't finish. So you want people to finish, you want the plot to be engaged, you want it to be real life, you want the characters to be interesting. All of this stuff is like ticking boxes. If we can get, if we get three of them right out of five, it's not going to work. We need to get all the boxes right. So we hope that this has helped you think about these issues. Yeah. What do you think, Kevin? I think, I think uh, you know, you've, 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 you've clarified for me the thing about the payoff. So the stakes have to be high. Now, you could say, actually, in this book, the stakes cannot be higher than your soul, the destiny of your soul. Do you want to end up like Marley, who is, you know, forced like the ancient mariner to roam the world as a spirit looking at all the people he could have helped with his vast wealth but didn't and that's sort of limbo or hell um so so the and the stakes for scrooge are equally as high in fact marley says to him you, you know your your chains are heavier you've been more of a, a nasty bastard actually so i think the payoff that's going to keep people to the end is to see what is the payoff? And I think if you can get into your story a huge payoff, so the reader has to say, well, is is her or him or she or it going to going to actually <clears throat> redeem themselves or win the prize or change or whatever it is, find the ring? Uh, and I think if you can keep them, that's where the tension and the conflict really pay out. Right to the last fucking page. Very good. Excellent, Kevin. Thank you very much. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, we've got more coming. So stay tuned. <laughs>